Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Welcome to Branch Life Church's Seven Days That Changed the World series. This is a series I'm very excited about because it's all about the seven days from Jesus entering Jerusalem to when he died and rose again. These seven days have transformed the world as we know it. And if you join us on this journey, it can transform you too. So we are glad that you're here. We hope that you'll stay to the end. We've got some great information to share with you. And our prayer is that this series will be an encouragement to you. Don't forget to fill out that online connection card before you leave. And again, we're glad you're here. Welcome to Branch this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life Church. So excited to continue our journey through the seven days that changed the world. And the whole idea is if you join us on this journey, these seven days could also change you too. We're in the middle of this journey. We're excited that we're going to be talking about these seven days all the way up to Easter, which, like Chris said, is 28 days from now. So I'm very excited about tonight's communion and worship service. It's going to be led by our worship collective, and you're not going to want to miss this evening. Bring the whole family. Come out at 5 p.m. as we just spend the hour uh, worshiping together, doing communion, and praying. We're going to take this 28 days as a church to travel together, preparing our hearts, preparing our homes, preparing our families. You can participate in this individually, you can participate in it as a family, or corporately together as a church, as we offer different events. Grab one of these flyers downstairs, or you can go to branchlife.church slash 28 days, and you can follow along with some prayer prompts for every one of these 28 days. We, we promise that if you take time to meet God every day. If you, in this rhythm, put, put fasting, and we teach you a little bit about what fasting is. No, it's not eating for all 28 days. That would be something only God can do. Uh, this is something you can do periodically throughout this journey. Uh, that this will be one of the most powerful seasons for your life, for your family, and for our church. So join us in this journey of 28 days of prayer, kicking off tonight at 5 p.m., we're not going to be live streaming the worship tonight, so this is something you'll have to come for in person. Uh, but if you are joining us on the live stream this morning, you can find all the information at branchlife.church slash 28 days of prayer. As this is day one of 28 days of prayer, I thought it would just be right that we start this teaching time with a word of prayer. God and Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we launch off into this journey as a church of stepping through each of the next 28 days of, of our lives by focusing on who you are. 
God, help us to come to our knees. Help us to shout from our hearts. Help us to, to think of you in our minds as we go through our days, as we parent our children. God, as we go to our schools and our workplaces, as we play our games, as we cheer on the March Madness. God, we just pray that you would be the focus of our thinking, of our prayers, of our hearts over these 28 days. God, I pray that, that husbands and wives would spend precious moments praying together. I pray that, that dads and sons and daughters would pray together. Lord, I pray that best friends would meet for coffee just to pray together, that small groups would pray together, Lord, that strangers would pray together, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would pray together, that, that uncles and aunts and cousins, God, and neighbors would, would put their arms around each other, and during these 28 days, God, that we would fall to our knees and seek your face. We ask, God, that you would speak in these 28 days. God, we ask that you would speak so loud that we, we could not hear your voice. Or, God, if you choose to speak in a whisper, help us to turn down the noise that so often distracts us from your voice. God, help us to have ears that will hear. Will you lead us? Will you comfort us? Will you counsel us? Will you direct us? God, will you meet with us as we spend these next 28 days praying without ceasing? And God, will you allow this to be a power moment in the life of Branch Life Church? Lord, maybe you're going to rescue some marriages. God, maybe you're going to reach some lost souls. Lord, maybe you're going to turn around a, a wayward saint. Maybe, God, you're going to bring peace to this world. Maybe, Lord, God, you will just bring peace to a home. God, will you allow us to deepen our roots with you through this 28-day journey? Be with tonight's worship time. Help it to be special for each one that will be able to join us. And as we travel up through Easter, God, will, all, will you allow us to culminate in a celebration like this church has never seen before, that we can celebrate on that special day the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, that we would lift our voices, that we would wrap our arms around each other, that we would bring our friends and our neighbors to join in the celebration. So God, use us. Change us, reach us, speak to us, guide us. And may many see the light of Jesus Christ through us during these 28 days. In your precious name we pray, amen. Well, we're jumping into day three, part two of our seven days that changed the world. You're going to need your Matthew journals. If this is your first time with us or you haven't yet got a Matthew journal, they're available downstairs. Our gift to you. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our Matthew series through the course of these seven days. Each of these days are represented in the end of Matthew. Now, day three, as we mentioned last week, out of the seven chapters or eight chapters that we're covering up till Easter, day three is five chapters long. Jesus does a lot of teaching in day three. And so last week we did day three, part one, shots heard around the world, where Jesus confronted religious hypocrisy. And he went out there and he said, stop majoring on the minors and missing the Messiah. Focus on Jesus with your life. And we talked about tons of ways that he teaches us to do that, warns us how not to live in that time. Go back to that. If you missed it last time, you can find it online at the website. Now, today is the second part of the teaching. You see, the first part of day three, he was hanging out in the temple and he taught in the temple. He confronted the religious leaders there. He walked back, as he did every day this week, to where they were staying in Bethany, which meant he had to go past over the Mount of Olives out of the city. The Mount of Olives was the high point, is the high point around Jerusalem. And they would look down from the Mount of Olives and they would take a break with his disciples and Jesus would teach again. 
while looking at the temple. And he would address an issue that would be natural for anyone that knew they were going to die in just a few days. And the question basically was to his best friends, and from his best friends, when am I going to see you again? When are we going to, what's going to happen after you die? What's, what's going to happen in the end? And if Jesus was announcing himself as Messiah, as he was saying he was God in flesh, this natural discussion would come up where the disciples would go, okay, if you're God, tell me, tell me how this all gets fixed. Tell me when you're coming back. Tell me how we'll know you're coming back. And that's the conversation that he has for another two and a half chapters. And we're going to travel through this this morning, uh, this time. As Jesus sat up on the Mount of Olives, he looking down at the temple. If you have your Bibles, he starts a discussion in Matthew chapter, let me get there, 24. Matthew chapter 24, in your journals, it's page 103. Let me read this for you, starting in verse 1. We're just going to go through a couple of the verses right here to kick this off. He says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, so after saying woe to the Pharisees, and he was going away with his disciples, he came, to the po- he came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So he's sitting up here on the mountain, and he's pointing back at this grand temple. Look at the people, right? right this is huge. Solomon built this in the Old Testament. He's looking down at the temple and the buildings of the temple, And he answers disciples in verse 2, you see all of these talking about the buildings, do you not? I truly say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This entire temple complex is going to be wiped out, he says. Not one brick, not one stone will be left on top of the other. It will all be flattened. It'll all be turned over. That's cataclysmic that's 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 got to mean destruction not just for the temple but for the entire city of jerusalem this is mind-blowing for the disciples to hear this prediction as he sat on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And verse 4 is spectacular. And Jesus answered them. Jesus is going to take the next few chapters and he's going to answer these three questions. I'm going to give the questions in the order that he answers them, not the order that the disciples just asked them. Question number one, they, they ask, what will be the signs of the end? What will be the signs of the end of the age? What will be the signs of your coming? What, what should we be looking for? What will we know that will jog our memory that you'll be coming back? So tell us the signs. Now remember, Jesus answered them, so he's going to tell them some of the signs. Then he says, they ask, when will the end come? When will you come back? When will the end of the age be? Give us times. Give us dates. Give us, give us a 28-day countdown or something like that. We want to know when this is going to happen. And then the third question that he answers that they didn't ask is, what should we do until then? And the third question is actually the question that Jesus spends the most time on. He doesn't spend a lot of real estate in the first two. And just that fact alone, I want to I challenge us as believers 
as people at, at Branch Life Church, we are a church that holds a high view of Scripture. What do I mean by that? We believe that everything that the Bible says is true. We believe that the Bible is the authoritative reference for all matters of life. We literally believe that the Bible is God's word. And so we at Branch Life Church seek to understand the Bible. That's why we teach from it. That's why it comes up every Sunday. That's why I preach out of the word of God. Not every church in America, in the world, has a high view of Scripture. Some churches have a high view of their leaders. Some churches have a high view of their traditions. Some churches have a high view of their institution. And you can identify the difference between quote-unquote churches that don't have a high view of Scripture and those that do by how they treat the Word. And so Jesus is in the Word of God telling us about the end, and in the Bible, he doesn't spend a lot of time there. There are 66 books of the Bible, and there are two, one and a half of these books that are dedicated to future prophecy yet to be fulfilled. The book of Revelation, and there's some chapters in the book of Daniel, and this section in Matthew, where he starts to talk about what is yet to happen. And so this is not, of the 66 books, a large percentage of the discussion. However, there are a lot of Christians out there, or people who read the Bible, who spend a ton of time trying to divine, to interpret, to understand the end times. And they start making predictions, and they start giving uh, readings, and they start taking current events and putting them into some passages of Scripture, whether it's Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation or the, the Olivet Discourse, and they start really, really focusing on these details that, quite frankly, Jesus does not share with us. So I want to give us a caution. Yes, it's a great question we, we, we naturally are going to ask. When's the end? When are you coming back? How do we know about your return? Jesus is going to answer it very plainly, but don't get overly concerned on those details. The most important thing that Jesus says is, I'm going to teach you how to live in the meantime. And he wants us to live in a certain way that does not get distracted either by under-spirituality. I've got a lot more time. I can do my thing I'm going to live my life, and then I have time. I'm going to come back to Jesus at some point later. But now I'm going to do me. Now I'm going to build my portfolio. I'm going to build my business, or I'm going to have my fun, or I'm going to play my sports. I'm going to go all in on my hobbies, and I'll think about Jesus later. That's dangerous. Don't do that. But he also doesn't want us to get hyper-spiritualized when it comes to prophecy, where we're going to sit down and we're going to try to understand every little nuance, every little war, every little battle, every little prophecy, and try to make it make sense now, when frankly it just doesn't make sense. And you, can, you see these guys, they pop up on TV late at night, and they're fake newscasts, and they're, they're yipping and yapping, and they're talking about, and they're quoting verses left and right, and they're quoting so many verses about different things about end times that you got to be like, how in the world are they using any of those in context, right? And then they're just scary and awful and terrible, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and, and gogs, and magogs, and goats, and sheep and wars and rumors of wars and famines and, and, and they're, they're nuts. And people will look at those people who say they're Christians and they love God and they love God's word and maybe they do but they'll look at them and go, they're Looney Tunes. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to have that hyper spirituality that's, that's 
really, I mean, you're crazy enough as a Christian. You believe a guy died and rose again. You don't need to make yourself any crazier in the eyes of other people. Let's just, let's just convince them on that. So we got to be cautious of this hyper-prophetic spirituality. And, G- and Jesus, even in the temperature that he gives in this discussion, makes sure not to go far one way or the other with answering these questions. So let's answer them, and then there's some stuff I don't want to run out of time for, um, so I don't want to get bogged down in some of these details. There's a lot of chapters. The first question that he answers in chapter 24, verses 2 through 14, just again, about 10 verses to answer the question, what will be the signs of the end? Now listen to this, uh, starting in verse, he answered them, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left unturned on the other. Verse 3, as he sat down, tell us what these things will be. Verse 4, and Jesus answered, See that no one leads you astray. Don't let anyone fool you. Verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they, they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For it must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. So that first set, right, this is what most often gets quoted when Russia invades Ukraine, right? Wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, this must be the end times. There's famines and earthquakes, right? There's, this is like, all of a sudden, the, the disciples are like, something's going to blow up the temple. It's going to be huge. It's going to be bad. And it, what he's saying is it's just going to be worse. And it'd be easy to start feeling your heart racing. Like, welcome to 2022. We were promised that pandemics would be over and we would get back to normal and there'd be no more division in this world, right? That was 2019, 2020, 21. But 2022 has come in with a bang, right? You know, first of all, it's 70 degrees one day and snowing the next. Now there's wars, right? Literally, Russia's deciding to... There are three million refugees that have just been displaced in the last month. Six million that are just all messed up, have no place to live. And that's all happened one month, just, just in the beginning of 2022. And oh, by the way, please don't let gas get to $5, right? Inflation's on the rise. Now my pocketbook is taking a hit. There's all kinds of craziness happening. This has got to be the end. This has got to be it. I mean, when has the world ever seen anything this bad? Well, there was the whole World War II thing. There was the whole Great Depression thing. There was the whole Great Famine, the potato famine, if you live in Ireland or whatever you want to talk about. We can point throughout all generations where there has been a consistent theme. Wars, rumors of wars, nations rising against nations, famine, earthquake, pestilence, all of those things have always been happening. What Jesus is giving here is he's not giving the signs of the end, the end times. He's given the, the signs of the beginning of the end times. And as a matter of fact, the signs of the end times that he's talking about in chapter 24, verses 2 through 7, started happening in 70 AD, just 70 years after he died, and are continuing to happen till this present day, and they will continue to happen until he returns. He is listing what every generation will see until Jesus comes back. This isn't yet to be determined. This is happening now. He says to the disciples in just a few verses, we're going to look at it, and all of these things will take place in your generation. What will take place? First, 
the temple will be destroyed. In 70 AD, we know that Titus, the son of the rule of the emperor, came in the Persian Empire and destroyed Jerusalem and overturned every stone in the temple. Why? Because they thought the temple had been put together literally by gold. They were looking for gold in the mortar of the bricks. They destroyed the city and they turned over every brick looking for that gold. Not one stone was left unturned. This prophecy happened in 70 AD. The temple was completely destroyed. It's a very important year in the history of the church. That was nation rising against nation. That was wars and rumors of wars. There was famine and there was pestilence. There was all kinds of things, earthquakes that was happening in this moment. And and Jesus is saying it's going to continue to happen. Now the disciples just heard that their home city was going to be destroyed. And they just heard that there was a lot of bad things that were going to continue to happen. What does Jesus say about this? What does he say to every generation and to the disciples in this moment? We all need to hear this. This is what he says. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out. Don't don't get beside yourself. Don't get anxious. Don't get worried. Don't get upset. This is the broken world being broken. This is why I've died. God is bigger than wars and rumors of wars. God is greater than famines and earthquakes. God is still in control. You don't have to be alarmed. He's basically saying just keep calm and keep on. When things get bad, when nation rises against nation, when there's wars and rumors of wars, when prices go up incredibly, don't be alarmed. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't shouldn't be surprised. This is exactly what God said would happen. He continues. He continues with this list of the beginning of the end. Stuff that we should expect to take place and that did take place. In verse 9 he says, Then they will deliver you up to to tribulation. They will put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Then many will fall away and betray one another. They will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. Remember, he's talking to his 12 disciples and company. And he's saying to them, now, this is what's going to happen to you. In your generation and as followers of Jesus, Peter, John, Matthew, you will be persecuted, killed, and hated. Did that happen? Did it come true? Did the disciples see that in their lifetime? Every single one of the disciples was killed, executed, or banished because they were followers of Jesus. Every single one. John was the only one to live to an old age because he was banished on the island. John then writes the book of Revelation where we get our other prophetic messages, the other seeing of the future. Disciples uh, fall away and betrayed. You know who is sitting in Jesus' presence listening to this right now? Judas, Judas, Judas the one who will betray Jesus on day four. Judas is the name that everybody knows, but nobody names their kid after. It's the name everybody knows, but nobody has it. Why? Because the disciples, the disciple betrayed Jesus. This, this is where they will, they will, Christian people who claim to know Jesus will, will betray one another and they'll hate each other. False prophets will arise. 
People will arise saying, follow me. I know the future. I know the way. I can interpret scripture in a way that you can't. I have my own scripture. I have my own book. I have my own beliefs. I have my own message from God. And these false prophets will arise, and the book says, many will be led astray by them. And you're like, well, is that happening? Yeah. How many religions are out there claiming to have the answers to life, and how many of them have millions and millions and millions and millions of followers? All of that started and was taking place just in the 70 years after Jesus was born, and it continues to this day. Many disciples will fall away and be led astray. We talk about a word today called deconstructionism, where people who grew up in the faith kind of deconstruct their faith, and then they they end up, in some cases, with no faith. And we're, we, people look at this and they go, oh my word, I can't believe that this is happening. I can't believe that this is taking place. I want to tell you right now, deconstruction is not new. Deconstruction has been happening in the life of the church for every generation. And many walk away. It was prophesied that lawlessness will increase. Doesn't it feel that way? That things are just getting... Like, people just ignore the laws. I saw the news yesterday in Philadelphia, and I guess this happens when it gets nice out, right? Snowing one weekend, 70 degrees the next. And the, the Philadelphianians decided that they were going to get their, their little uh, uh, crotch rockets, right? Their four-wheelers, their little mini bikes, and they're going to go driving on the road. Well, that, you wouldn't think that was a big deal, but that's, like, totally against the rules in Philly. But not only were they riding on, they weren't just, patiently hanging out in traffic, right, and waiting their turn. They're weaving in and out of traffic, like 60, 70 of these bikes and four-wheelers, going down, going down the wrong way, down main highways, weaving in and out of oncoming traffic, and these bikes are so small that they have to fill them up with gas every couple of miles, so they all, all 60 bikes will go to the gas station. The first gas station was like so overwhelmed, the police didn't know what to do. They all ripped out of there. They went to a second gas station. You know what that gas station owner did? He just shut out all the lights and all the electricity, just turned off the pumps. He's like, get out of here. And there, there's... Did you know that the, the murder rate in the major cities in America is all higher than it's ever been? And it's on track in 2022 just to go higher? You see the rise of things like ISIS around the world, terrorisms where people are, are flying planes into, right? This lawlessness thing is just seems to be on the increase. Then their love is also going to grow cold. It's, it's no wonder in this moment that we, we have to hearken back to the discussion that just happened the morning earlier where Jesus said to the Pharisees, what are the greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's going to be a sign of the end? Love is going to grow cold. Neighbor will stop loving neighbors. People will stop caring for one another. They'll stop looking out for each other, and instead of showing each other love and compassion, they're going to build bigger fences because in our day and age, Big fences make great neighbors. That's, that's like the theme of the way we live our lives. Where we don't look out to love one another, we look out for number one. Love starts to grow cold and marriages become about me, not my spouse. Where businesses become about lining my pockets, not making a better life for my workers. Where it becomes about my entertainment and my desires and my needs and love for others grows cold. In the book of Revelation, doesn't Jesus scold the church for being lukewarm? Where it just lost its first love. 
All of this has been seen in every generation since Jesus and will be seen in every generation until he comes. So what do we do? First, remember, don't be alarmed. But Jesus in this moment gives them another set of instructions. In verse 13, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then, then the end will come. So what's our instructions? Endure, right? One foot in front of the other. Go to the next day. Go to the next week. Just be patient. Be strong. Endure. And if you endure, you will be saved. We already know who wins in the end. We already know that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. We already know what's going to happen to the world. We understand that this is the middle of the story and Jesus has already written the ending. So we endure, we be saved, and then we proclaim the gospel to all. That's what he's asked us to do. What is the gospel? It's simply good news. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the hope of God that yes, our world is broken and lawless and loveless. But God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. You can follow King Jesus who does not rise up to hate neighbor but who loves and heals and gives hope. We have that good news. So we proclaim that good news. You see, when the world lets you down, you've always got Jesus. He will never, never let you down. And when we walk through this endurance, when we see these things coming, then, then we understand, hey, this is the beginning of the birth, plane, birth pains. It's about to happen. You see, Jesus in this moment gives you the illustration of a mom giving birth. And we're in the pregnant phase. We're, we're in the phase where like, I don't know when he's going to come. I don't know when the baby's going to get here. I don't know how long it's going to take. And the first, you, you, you guys remember, have you ever seen the first mom who's pregnant, right? And literally from like three months until their due date, they're at the hospital every other, every other hiccup. <gasps> oh, baby's coming! Get the bag! This is it! The big one's here! And they race out to the hospital, and the hospital says, not yet, dear. It's not happening yet. It's so cute. <laughs> Go home. Don't come back. Yeah, all right? And then there's because they're always like, it's got to be it. This has got to be it. This has got to be it. But then by the time it's the second baby, it's like, the, it's just, the, it's just, the, it's just the, I just ate too much pizza last night. This can't be it. That was totally the way we did it with our, we have two kids, right? So with Delaney, we were like at the hospital like three times, like trying to make sure it was, ha- got there way early. They put us in a room. They didn't come see us for a week. You're like, you're going to have a baby in a little while, but it's going to be a little while. The second baby, Jen was like so chill. Like it was way too chill. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, let's go for a walk. Are you sure? Let's go out and go to the dinner. Are you sure you're not having a baby right now? Because it feels like you're having a baby. Ah, maybe. And we get to the hospital and we're like, oh, you're having the baby like in 10 minutes. <laughs> like, okay, all right, baby's coming. Baby's here, right? That was, that was just kind of how it happened. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, this, this is just, I'm, I'm going to come. Don't freak out. But I'm, it, when these things happen, listen, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. It's going to be that time. So this is, this is what will come in the end. This is how you know that the end is happening. And he gives a few more things. And I won't, we won't be able to read verse by verse today for the rest of it. But in verse 24, 15 through 28, he says, This has not happened yet, but it will. 
He says, in the end, the end will come, that's a transition statement, the temple will be defiled. So in, in these verses, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, the abomination of desolation is an Old Testament term from the book of Daniel, and he says, spoken by the prophet Daniel. So Jesus is talking about a very, very specific event from the Old Testament. He's not just talking about any kind of disrespect in the temple. He's, not just, he's talking about this moment that Daniel saw that's been predicted, that many, many theologians have been trying to understand for a long time. Stand, when you see this happening, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then he says, run for the hills, right? That's the next verse. You should go, get out of there. This is not good, right? This, this abomination of desolation, the best we can understand it, is probably talking about the Antichrist. And so, so Jesus is probably, and we may be wrong, he probably is talking about the Antichrist. When he's going to come in the end times, he's going to set himself up as the one to be worshipped, not God. And you're going to know who the Antichrist is because the Antichrist is going to call for all humanity to worship him. Now, people have been fixated on the Antichrist for a long time. And they've been naming names for a long time. Can I just give you some pastoral advice again? I'm just, stop it. Not every president, every pope, and every billionaire is the Antichrist. I, I don't even, po, Putin's not the Antichrist, Right? We keep going after everyone who does. Hitler was not the Antichrist. You know that Ronald Reagan was rumored to be the Antichrist? Ronald Reagan. Nice Ronnie. Was, he was, you know why people said he was the Antichrist? Because his first name has six letters in it. Ronald. His last name has six letters in it. Reagan. Do you know what his middle name is? Wilson. Six letters. Six, six, six. Antichrist. Right? And we name him and we say, all right, just keep him away from the temple. Like, don't let him back, back over there. Like, we, we get all upset about the mark of the beast and we get all upset about technology on our hands and our foreheads and screens and, and checks. And listen, stop, stop. We're not looking for those things. It's going to be plainly obvious who the Antichrist is because he's going to stand in the temple and he's going to say, worship me. And if you don't worship me, your life will be destroyed. That's the moment that Christians stand up and say, no, I worship God and God alone. That's all, that's all we need to know and all we need to understand. And again, depending on your view of end times, and much smarter Christians have gone through an analysis of what's going to happen in what order in the end times, and we still don't agree. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to figure out. But if the rapture is the next thing that happens, we're not even going to be around for this. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about it. But if the coming of God is happening, if that's coming up next, then yeah, there's Christians that are just his return. Then yeah, we got to worry about it. We got to understand this is going to happen. But then you know, it's, it's baby delivering time. God's coming. We're still going to be okay. So you don't have to be thrown by this. Don't be anxious. Endure. Then he says there's going to be cataclysmic tribulation. This is something like the world has never seen. The book of Revelation talks about this in detail, but in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, he says, after the tribulation, in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heavens. So when we sing the song about Jesus returning and he's coming in, in brightness of day into the darkness of night, that's where this comes from. And that's being sung because this cataclysmic, like, sun snuffed out tragedy, right? Like moon no longer shining tragedy, like that kind of tribulation and hardship. Then he's coming 
He's coming back in all, and the Bible says he's going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. He's going to bring back with him the armies from heaven. In other words, all Christians from all time are going to be swept up and gathered with him, and he's going to come back as the conquering king. Then he'll return, riding on the clouds with great power and great glory. That's the signs of the times. And then he, 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 he stops. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't go into detail. He doesn't name names or talk about countries or world leaders. He doesn't tell us who the Antichrist is. We don't need to know. The purpose of the signs, then, are very specific. The purpose of prophecy is very specific. And what if the purpose of prophecy is not for us to look for the Antichrist, but for Christ? What if the purpose of prophecy is for us to seek the face of Jesus, not look for the details of the prophetic future? We're supposed to fall all in with falling our, our hope in, in who the person, the more you know the, the real thing, the more you understand the counterfeit. Prophecy is to remind us, the signs of the times are to remind us that we're supposed to be looking constantly for Jesus Christ. Let the other stuff go. Then the disciples ask the second question, which is incredibly important. When is this going to come? And again, Jesus answers in verses 24, 32 through 25, 46. He gives a, an outlining of when his return is going to happen. And he basically says this. It's already happening. It's already happening. I've already told you all this stuff. Look at the fig tree, he says in verse 32, when it's, when it's getting ready to bear fruit, when summer is near, so then you'll also know these things are near, that my return is at your very gates. Wars, rumors of wars. There's nothing that needs to be put in place for Jesus to return. It's all already set. It's already happening. We already see the signs. We already know that Jesus' return is coming back to Truly I say it unto you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. He gives them that clear instruction that, hey, it's, it's happening now. It's happening in your lifetime. When you read that lesson from the fig tree, he says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then verse 36, but concerning the day and hour, nobody knows. Concerning the end, concerning the return, concerning the abomination of desolation, concerning the cataclysm, uh, cataclysmic um, uh, uh, tribulation concerning my actual return on the clouds. Nobody knows that moment. And that's the second part of what he says. We don't know when Christ is going to return. We can't put a date to it. We can't give you a timeline or a specific order of events. No one knows. It says only the Father knows. Not even the angels know when Jesus is going to return. The day or the hour of Christ's return. But we know that it's close. And then he gives the example of Noah's Ark. You see, Noah spent hundreds and hundreds of years building a gigantic ark waiting for the rains and the floods to come. And the people got so used to this giant boat out in the backwoods that they didn't even care anymore. They just went on without their business. And they stopped seeing the signs of the times. They stopped uh, heeding the warning. They stopped thinking that there was actually going to be this cataclysmic flood that was going to take place. And then that flood shown up, and it wiped people out. It wiped them away, and the only ones that were saved were the people that were ready and who had gotten into the boat. They totally missed it. They totally missed the sign of the giant boat. They stopped watching for the return because they stopped seeing 
the signs. They were no longer seeing Christ. They were just going on with their own business. He says, don't, don't be like the people in Noah's day who just stopped thinking about Christ's return and went on with their lives as normal. We shouldn't be that way. Now, he's going to give three stories to make this point, to talk about what we do in light of Christ's return. And we just want to say, the signs, the specific signs, we should be less concerned about the reading of the signs for, uh, for tomorrow and more concerned about today. And this is something that came up in Matthew 6 when, when this question comes up. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient in the day as its own troubles. A lot of times we start thinking way about tomorrow, and he's like, oh, i got to bring you back. we got to be concerned about today. This is how it's going to end. This is what's going to happen. Don't get distracted, but, but don't be overly concerned about tomorrow. Think about what you need to do today. And so then he goes on answering the questions. Here's what you need to do. And he tells three stories. First, he tells the story of the faithful servant and the lazy servant. The master went away. He, had, he has a servant, and blessed is the servant who's faithful in feeding the household and preparing the house and keeping things in order so that when master returns, everything is set. Blessed is that servant. But woe to the servant who is lazy and says, oh, I've got plenty of time, and the master's going to return, but it's not going to be yet. And so he, he's lazy, and he spends all his time loafing around, not doing what he needs to do, and the master returns and says, woe to that servant, and he casts him out. Then he tells the, the story of the ten brides, the ten virgins, right? And the ten virgins are getting ready for the bridegroom to show up, and they don't know when he's going to come. And he's, They thought he was going to come at a certain time, but he actually came later. So five of the bridegrooms, five of the virgins, they had their oil lamps filled and ready. Five of them didn't prepare the oil lamps. And when the, when the bridegroom came back suddenly, five of them were ready. And the other five said, hey, give us oil. We need it for our lamps. And they said, we've only got enough for ourselves. And, and they went and they went to the feast with the bridegroom. And the other, the other brides left. They couldn't come in because they didn't have the oil. They went out to buy some. And by then the gate was locked and it was too late. And they were cast out into the cold. And then he tells the story of the master who gave his different servant talents. Actual money. To one servant he gave 10 talents. Let's say $10,000. So another servant he gave five talents to another servant he gave one and the one with ten talents multiplied it and doubled it the one with with two talents doubled his talents into four and the one with one talent he hid it and he buried it so it would be safe and when the master returned he saw that these guys had multiplied their talents and he said well done my good and faithful servants and to the one that hid it he took his talent away and gave it to the one who had ten and we hear in this moment the possibility of servants of Jesus hearing the phrase, well done. Well done, because what we do between now and the return of Christ matters. And are we the faithful servant, or are, are we the lazy servant? Are we the good son that's anxiously awaiting? When I was in high school, I went away with my friend to the beach. His parents and, and I, we, we hung out at the beach for a while, and the weather turned, and we decided to come home a night early. Well, the older brother, who was high school, college age, was at the house alone. And this is before cell phones, where it was like, honey, I'm coming home. We didn't do that. So we pull up to the house, and 
it's literally one of those scenes where you see like the disco lights coming out of each window in the house, and it's thumping. I mean, you thought the stuff get ma- gets made up. This was literally happening. The block party of the year was going on inside that house. And I remember, I was the guest, right? And I'm the pastor's kid. And, and they, they look back at us, and they're like, you stay in the car. And they get out, and they go in. And I saw this sweet lady who cooked me eggs for, for the, every day literally throwing people out her front door, like just chucking stuff and people. And they're out the windows, and the police came, and everyone scattered. And why, why did that happen? Because the older son's like, my parents aren't coming home yet. We can do whatever we want. Instead of thinking, no, my parents could be back at any moment, and what do I want them catching me doing? And if God was going to return, what do you want him catching you doing? Partying? Doing your own thing? Disobeying the law? Or do you want him, you want him catch you being faithful with the things of God? Here's what he tells us to do. First, he says in 2244, he says, when things look bad down here, look up. When things look bad down here, look up. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming on an hour you don't expect. And every time there's a war, every time a nation rises up against nation, every time a disciple is deceived, every time a false prophet rears its head, every time you see one of these markings of the end happening, which happens in every generation, look up. Be reminded that God is on his throne and that he's in control and that he may return at that very moment. Second, be faithful and wise while you wait. Blessed is the servant who the master finds faithful when he comes. Not the one who's partying and breaking all the rules. The one who's faithful, that's the one that will be blessed by God. And he asks us to be faithful faithful with the loving God and loving neighbor. Be faithful in our marriages. Be faithful in our worship. Be faithful in our prayer. Be faithful in reaching others for Jesus Christ. And then he says, listen, this is powerful when he closes in verse chapters 25, 31 through 46, talking about the judgment. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And, and the sheep are going to get into heaven and the goats are going to be cast out. And, and he says to the sheep, listen, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the sheep say to the master, when, king, were you here? We didn't do any of those things for you. And he said, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. When you give money to a refugee in Ukraine, when you help someone from Afghanistan who doesn't have a place to live, When you go to your neighbor who's doing chemotherapy, when you provide a meal for a hurting brother or sister, you do those things for Jesus. And so he says, in the meantime, I need you to focus on feeding and clothing the needy, hosting the stranger, helping the sick, visiting the prisoner. There's going to be plenty of work for us to do. And instead of us getting focused on all the predictions and all the bad stuff, we're supposed to keep our nose to the ground and do the good work of loving our neighbor and helping people. That is what Jesus says. When we do it to the least of these, we do it for him. So I just want to give you kind of like a three-part exercise. How do we handle the signs of the time, right? And this is something you can literally do. So you turn on the news at night and something bad has happened, right? World War III, 
has officially started, right? That could happen this week. We're not that far off. So what are we going to do? First, I want you to look up. That's step number one. And, and it, here, if this really helps you, don't just look, but jump a little bit. Because Jesus could be coming back. And if you jump, you get a little bit of a head start, right? Like, you're going to be up there and be like, beat you, like, told you. Like, I, the theology of that is bad because, I mean, if you're on the third floor, first floor, I don't know how it's going to happen. But, but jump, like, if it's really bad, just hop. Like, and just literally get your body like God's coming back. Here I go. All right. No? Okay. What happens then if you land, right, he didn't come. Does that make sense? And if he didn't come, that means something. That means it's not time yet. That means that, that there's something very important for you to do. That there's still a purpose in in Christians being on this planet. We're still supposed to be salt. We're still supposed to be light. We're still supposed to get the work done. So first jump, and then if you land, that means it's time to get to work. That, That means it's time to get faithful. It's time to get busy. It's time to be wise. It's time to help someone. It's time to be the church. It's time to get out there and to put your arms around the sick, the needy, the helpless. You may have children that need your attention. You may have a spouse that needs your attention, a neighbor that needs your attention, or a refugee from halfway around the world that needs your attention. But somebody needs the love of Jesus to come through you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And so when it's really, really, really bad and you're like, I can't take it anymore, jump because maybe God's going to take you home but if you land you can take it you can go through another day another week and there's something that God has for you to do so this is a very simple three a three-step process jump land go jump land go the jump put your eyes on Jesus the land reminds you that he hasn't taken you home yet and the go is asking you to find something to do what will Jesus catch you doing when he comes back? Wouldn't it be great if he caught you in mid-jump? Wouldn't that be stellar? You're like, I knew you were totally coming. It was real bad for a hot minute. That would be amazing. But would he catch you wasting time? Being unspiritual? Not, not that we can't watch Marsh Madness or go play golf or we, we can do, play a video. We can do all of those things. But if you, don't, if you do all those things but you don't serve the needy, then you've got a problem. Don't let the, the gifts that God gives us distract us from our purpose. So what, you, what does he want to catch you doing? Have you helped someone? Have you met a need? Have you given? Have you served? Have you loved? Have you lifted someone? That's what, that's what I want God to catch me doing. And I say to God, don't take me yet. There's still people that need to hear about you. I want, him to, I want him to catch me talking to people about him. The signs, listen to this thought, are not meant for us to build bigger bomb shelters to save ourselves. The signs are not there so that we rescue ourselves from the evil forces of the world and the Antichrist and the false prophets and the great tribulation. That's not why the signs exist. They're not out there to help us build bomb shelters and to point around and go, I told you so. The signs exist so that we build bigger dinner tables to share our, our Jesus with our friends. The signs exist to remind us that it's short 
that I don't have a lot of time, that I've got to share Jesus. There's only 28 days till Easter, and what if this was the last Easter? Who would you invite your, to this worship service? If you know Jesus was going to come back next week, who would you talk to? Who would you email? Who would you share the gospel with? If it was your last chance, would you take it? That's the way Jesus asks us to live our lives. Let's stop building bomb shelters and let's start serving dinner to as many people as we possibly can to have gospel conversations about life and the greatness and the great hope of the good news of the gospel. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? If he would come back today, are you confident that you would be swept up to meet him in the air? Do you know Jesus as your own personal Savior? He promised. And maybe you were thinking about getting saved. Maybe you were hoping you would have more time to talk about this later. I don't know how much time we have. Today's the day of your salvation. Today you need to be ready for Jesus. And the way that you get ready is you simply accept Jesus into your life. You repent. You acknowledge Jesus died on the cross and he rose again for your sins. That you can't save yourself. That you must depend on the salvation of Jesus. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Have Have you done that? Today can be the day, and I want to encourage you to talk to one of us afterwards or go to our gospel tab. If you're ready to accept Jesus as your own personal Savior, be ready for his return. Man, that's a huge decision, and that's a huge moment. We'd love to celebrate with you, so let us know that you did that on your connection card. Today's the day you can be saved. Even now, you can just talk to God and say, Lord, save me. I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. But for those of us who are believers in Lord Jesus Christ, this question, this question is super important. If you knew Jesus was coming back next week, how would you live different this week? How would you live different this week if you knew Jesus was coming back next week? Only you can answer that question. Hey, thanks for sticking all the way through the end. We hope that those lessons that we talked about will be encouragement to you. We want to invite you back next time as we go to the next day that changed the world. And if you're interested in digging deeper or connecting more, we've got a special gift for you while supplies last. If you fill out your connection card and let us know that you'd like these Matthew journals, we will gladly send one to you. Don't forget to fill that out online before you log off. We'll see you next time.